Again, I'm so, so excited to be here. I haven't seen many of you since November. Unless we're connected on social medias, then you see me a lot because I'm always on there. We're really, really involved in our community, so I always want to make sure that we're connected. So if you don't know me or follow me on social media, on Instagram, it's Mr. J. Keaton, I think. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at it in a while. Or on Faith Church, J. Keaton. Um, and we just want to connect with you guys. Um, but it's really, really exciting time in Atlanta. We're growing like crazy, which is a good problem to have. Last week, I took a little bit of break where I wasn't hosting and I let some of the other leaders host. And I look back and I knew how many chairs I set out. And I see these extra chairs just like kind of not in the way that my OCD organized them. And we had to put out 15 extra seats. Like, so we're growing in the week before it was 10 extra seats. So in the past two weeks, we added 25 people. So it's really, God is doing something incredible, so please keep us lifted in your prayers, and we're just wanting to make you guys and God proud, amen? So this week when Pastor Frank said, we're going to be speaking on passages that pump me up, and being a little uh, nerd, and I am a very big nerd, I started digging really deep, and I didn't want to go to the easiest ones that pump me up. I wanted to find something that was going to challenge my faith, and something that would cause me to live at a higher level. Amen. And so I picked John 5, 1 through 8. And you guys, you can't stand. I, listen, I just did this last service, God, but I'm just so used to like having you sit down and stand up. If you feel a little bit Catholic this morning. So go ahead and stand back up so we can read the word of God. And we're reading John 5, 1 through 8. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is in Hebrew called Bethesda, having five porches, and in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease they had. Now a certain man who was there who had an infirmity for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but I'm coming another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise up, take your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you for another opportunity to come into your house of worship, God. We ask that this word would resonate in our hearts and our minds, God, so that we leave here forever changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may sit down. I won't ask you to stand up again today. (laughs) Amen. So again, this passage really, really pumped me up because it's like, This man had been broken, broken for 38 years, laying there waiting for something to happen that would possibly never happen. Because if you can imagine, the colonnade had five, it had five separate porches and everybody was laying around this pool. And what are the chances that you would be able to be the first one in? Like you have to be on it. So I imagine that he was restless. He couldn't sleep because he didn't want to miss the moment. So everybody's a little cranky and everybody's sick. And have you ever been around other sick people? Even if you were feeling well, you start to feel a little sick yourself. I'm like, where did that cough come from? And I think I thought I was feeling well. 
But so this man is laying there for 38 years, and he, he's been in the same condition, still holding on, not giving up, but waiting for a moment to come that could, like I said, very well never come. And before we jump into this gospel text, I told you guys I was a nerd, and I'm proud of it. Like, seriously, I used to wear, like, the, the penny loafers, but I thought it was extra cool, so I put a dime in there instead of the penny. And with my button downs, long before it was cool to have all that. And so I did some research on this, and I thought, I was like, well, it's kind of weird that there would be a pool in Jerusalem because it's kind of in the middle of a desert. So where did this pool come from? And I found out that in the Greek empire, the Hellenistic culture, they created these cults around, um, around this man, Asclep- See, I can't say it now. Asclepius. And so he made, and he was actually the god. And of course, in Greek mythology, there was all kind of gods. Zeus, you're familiar with all the cool ones. Zeus, the most powerful god. But Asclepius, he was the god of mercy or the god of comfort, the compassionate god. So as being the compassionate god, they created in this cult-like empire a, a series of healing centers that were spread throughout the region. And they believed that water was a mainstay for healing. And so they believed that this God would go ahead and send serpents to trouble the water or spirits to trouble the water. And at that exact moment, the water would be stirred and then the healings would take place. So I found that really interesting to know that the people who were at the pool, they weren't believers in our God. They were just believers of a God. And so we find Jesus in this moment doing what he does so well, stirring up trouble, going into another pagan territory, and shaking things up. When Jesus walked into this situation, this man was like, Jesus really just went to him and was like, hey, I don't know why Jesus picked him out out of all the people that were there, but the man he knew was broken beyond repair, or so he thought. So Jesus went to the man and said, ask a simple question. Do you want to be made whole? And the guy was just like, started giving excuses and reasons why he couldn't do it. So we find ourselves in this place where healing is now associated with divine healing. And I mean, healing is associated with water and everybody is all around this thing. And and God is just like, I'm trying to get you to see that I'm going to do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. And the Jewish audience began to gain new understanding as in his meeting with a Samaritan woman at the well. So in this moment, like, I'm really trying to tie everything together with the water. Because the water is very important. Jesus told us that he's the living water, right? If you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. So they always try to take something that is biblical and straight from God and recreate it in a counterfeit way to symbolize what God meant it to do and try to pervert it, right? So they associated water with healing, and because Jesus is the healing water, so the woman at the Samaritan well, he told her, if you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. So we've heard a few times in the Bible where God is telling people, I'm the water. Your healing is in the water. And so this is very important to know this throughout this this context. And in this passage of scripture, we find ourselves on the sidelines watching this man who laid infirm by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. And of course, he was unquestionably broken. And, and God just automatically jumped into his situation. Has God ever jumped into your situation? When you felt like stuff was like really, really bad and like everything that could go wrong did go wrong? 
Listen, and praise God for Tim. I don't know if you guys know Tim, our IT guy. He's amazing. And see, nobody ever shouts out the IT guy until there's a problem. And they're shouting at him, not shouting him out. So a few weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, we're getting ready for service. And something gets broken. It's our stream. Like, it's the lifeline of our church. Pastor Frank had an amazing word prepared. I had already watched Saturday night, so I was pumped. I was ready to go. And then the streamer, like, we had a complete power outage like we had this morning here at the church. And the streamer went completely down. I called Tim, speaking a billion miles a minute. Tim, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? He's like, calm down, Pastor Joseph. It's going to be okay. Like, all reassuring. He's like, did you do this? Did you do that? And I have all kind of IT certifications, so I'm really qualified to figure it out. But in the moment, I wasn't the IT guy. I was Pastor Joseph, and I was freaking out. But Tim called me down, and we were able to get the stream up, and service went flawless. Nobody was none the wiser that anything was wrong. But I never get to see you, Tim, so shout out to you. Thank you so much. It is really, really incredible in our church how many people play a part in a normal Sunday who make things go well. And you just come and you sit here and you take everything for granted. And now being the pastor of this church, I always go in and I find something broken. And as a man, and men, you can agree or attest to this. When you see something broken, what is your first inclination? To fix it. And so that's the kind of God that we serve. When he sees something broken, he wants to fix it. But you have to be okay with allowing him to fix it. And, And there's a point in this that uh, I really want to be really, really transparent is that I was really, really broken at one point. You guys see I'm a big guy, but I was a way bigger guy. I was actually 600 pounds, and my self-esteem was super, super low. I could never imagine talking in front of people, less known preaching. It just wasn't going to happen because I'm like, I don't have anything to offer, so I thought. But this young lady, she showed interest in me, and because she knew I was broken, she played on my brokenness. She made me believe that nobody wanted me, nobody would ever love me, and that's stuff that she would say. It's not what she implied. And as our relationship went on, it escalated and it became from verbal abuse to physical abuse, and I was utterly and unashamedly broken. And I took on so much that she took, and then finally, I just got really, really mad at God, like he was the one treating me some kind of way. And God was like, I love you. I have great plans for you. This is not the end for you. I'm taking you somewhere. And even though I knew it was in my head, because I've only heard the audible voice of God a few times, I'm lucky, or blessed rather, that I've gotten to hear the audible voice of God. But at this time, even though I heard it in my head, I, I answered in anger. I was like, I'm not worthy of love. I don't deserve it. And I meant that with every fiber of my being. And then God was like, who created you? Me or her? Who formed you in your mother's womb before you ever saw the light of day? Me or her? And God began to minister to me in the way that I had never been ministered before because I knew he was a provider because I didn't lack for anything. I knew he was a way maker, but I did not know that he was a healer of broken things. So that brings me to my first point of the morning. You're never too broken for God to love you. You're never too broken. You're never too broken. 
And God does amazing things. And there's a scripture that pumps me up. It's a little long and it's, I, I love to write. And so when I read this passage, it pumped me up because you, have you ever gotten a love letter from somebody and how it made you feel? I know um, our younger people, like you text your boo, your bae. Like, but I used to write, even because I'm older than my wife. Shout out to my wife who was able to be here today. So my, my wife is a nurse, so she's like, listen, and I, I'm the worst. And guys, I, I know we're all the worst um, when we get sick. But she's so compassionate, so loving. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm about to die. She's like, dude, you have a headache. Let's just calm down. You're being, you're, you're overdoing it. And so, I mean, that was a shameless plug for my wife. I mean, thank you so much for being here. But this scripture, like, I write my wife love letters now still. Like, we write postcards to each other. I, I have one special one that she wrote um, a couple weeks after we got married, and I carried it around in my wallet. And so whenever I'm just, like, wanted to go off on people and just, like, completely wreck my life and just, I'm like, you have a wife now. You can't do that. I take out my little card and read it. And so it's like these love letters that God writes to us, and we don't really take advantage of them. So this passage that pumped me up is found in Psalm 139 and 13, 13 through 18. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sands. And when I wake up, you're still with me. I was like, okay, God, you like me. Oh, I think he liked me. Like, look, seriously, I thought just like once I read that and I read that when I was most broken and I was like, this guy who I've never really seen in person loves me so much that even before I was even anything to look at, he cared about me. And that's when God really started to challenge who I was. He started to change my idea of who I thought I was. And that moment I began to be mended. And in my brokenness, God began to burst something out of my life. And the one thing that you have to know about God is he's not a fair-weathered friend. He's not only going to be with you in the good times and in the, bad, in, in the bad times just leave you. Like, he's not phony. There's nothing that you can do to perform. Have you ever been in a relationship or even on your job like... You feel like your boss, the moment that you have a bad day or you stop performing, like it's over, it's done. God isn't like that. And a lot of times we try to put the, the things of man on God, but he's not like that. You can mess up a lot. And God, listen, I've messed up so much. I was like, oh, Jesus, this is the one. This is the one thing that broke the straw that broke the camel's back. And God's like, I'm not going to leave you, nor will I forsake you. I'm always going to be here for you. And no, you can't continue to do that forever because grace does run out. But I'm grateful for a God who will never leave me even when I make a mistake. And as God began to deal with me about my own brokenness, he said, I created you and I need you to take a look at where you are and take an assessment of how you got broken. That's hard. Like, it's really, really hard because it could have happened from a bad marriage, a bad relationship, 
or your childhood. A lot of our kids go through so much. And before I was a pastor here, I was the assistant youth pastor at a church where we had 250 kids at the Potter's House of Denver. And we we saw so many kids that were broken, like their dads weren't there, so many single parents home. So they were dealing with a lot of baggage that God never intended for them to carry. And they were utterly broken. So God will cause you to confront your brokenness. That's point number two. God will cause you to confront your brokenness. And it's not because he wants to point out your flaws or where you made a mistake. But God knows that you can't conquer what you won't confront. You cannot conquer what you won't confront. You, you know, have you heard about interventions? Like those drug interventions? Because the person will swear up and down. Like you're high as a kite right now and you're telling me you don't have a problem. So it needs, you need people around you who are going to make you confront what you're going through that's destroying your life. And unfortunately, a lot of us, the person who is destroying your life, it's not the devil, it's you. A lot of us are so afraid to be great that we keep sabotaging ourselves. And God will cause you to confront those issues. And the passage that pumped me up here, um, actually, before I get there, actually, I don't. Actually, I'll just do this. Listen. Is there so much stuff that God has even given me right now? I'm like, do I give that? Do I, do I hold that in? Is that mine? Is that my personal nugget? So I just want to be really sensitive to what I share. And the reason God wants you to confront your brokenness is because he wants you to figure out what broke you so you don't fail the same test again. Because a lot of us are living in these broken spaces because we took on the baggage of other people and what they thought we should be. Like, my parents, they really, really compared me to my older sister. Like, she's beautiful, she's skinny, like, she's everything I'm not. And she was super smart in school, Phi Theta Kappa, honor roll in high school and college. And I was like, yo, I'm an artist. I'm just trying to get through, okay? Like, let me just go to trade school and let me do my thing. I, I was a C to B student. My sister straight A's and, like, doing college stuff in high school. I'm like, no, that's not my anointing, and I knew it wasn't. And so I wanted to be everything they wanted me to be. So as they started putting these requirements on me, I was just like, I'm not going to measure up to this. And I allowed myself to be broken. And God breaks you out of this small box that you put, your in, you put yourself in. It's because he has so much better in mind for you. Like a lot of times we think too small. And because we don't see how it's going to happen. And we know that we don't have the power within ourselves to make it happen. We give up. And we allow stuff to start breaking us. And God is like, listen, if it was in your power to do, that doesn't take faith. That just takes you not being lazy. But God wants to get you to a place where you trust him for the big stuff. Like when we started Faith Church Atlanta, we started with a big goose egg. I'll tell you this now because it's funny to me now, but there were days when I cried. You remember Pastor Chris's message where he felt like so much pressure was on him to succeed and he was falling into a depression? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I actually had the polo. I had the polo. It was really nice. But we had one Bible study back in December that had zero people. It was me and my wife. I led worship to her and to God. And I preached like a madman, sweating and everything to her. And she's like, babe, you really preach. She really encouraged me. I was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Thank you for feeding my ego. But the enemy tried to use that situation to make me broken. So... We started Faith Church Atlanta, and then all of a sudden, people just started coming out of nowhere. And even like we decided, okay, Sundays are doing great. We're way over 100 at this point as far as our, our members now. And so I was like, okay, well, let's go ahead and start Bible study. 
maybe we'll have two people show up. Praise God. I'm excited. Two people. First week, 10 people showed up. And it wasn't the 10 people who said they were coming. And I live in a gated community, so all these random people started calling me to get into my house. And I was like, deny, deny, don't know you. And there were people coming to Bible study. And then last week, we maxed out our space in our house at 20 people, like just coming because we never thought that it would grow. But God is doing something amazing. And if I would allow that moment of brokenness to discourage me, we would not be walking into the season that we're walking in. When I tell you, like, it's nothing but the grace of God because we, we still live in an area. This that you see every day at multicultural church is not normal. You come here, and you kind of take it for granted, but it's not normal. Like, in Atlanta, it's still segregated for the most part. You might see a couple sprinkles here and there, but we started multicultural. And it's in our DNA. I didn't have to try to make it happen. I didn't have to try to go recruit certain people. But because your DNA is that, our DNA is that. And God will put you in these situations that you look like every, nothing is going to work out in your favor. But then God was like, because we could have made excuses of why we shouldn't continue on with Faith Church Atlanta. Because I'm, I'm going to be the first person. I'm a business consultant outside of this in, a, in addition to my, my IT certifications. And I could have given excuses like the man at the pool of Bethesda. When God said, do you want to be made well? He started giving excuses. And sometimes when you're so broken, you don't know what else to do but give reasons why you're not where you're supposed to be. But I can tell you this, point three. Your breakthrough begins where your excuses end. That was good right there. Your breakthrough begins where your excuses end. Because as long as you're making excuses, you don't ever have to confront anything. You don't ever have to challenge your way of thoughts. Like, you really just have to get to a point where you're like, I don't care if I have a good day or a bad day. We're going to run right through it. Because as a believer, people think that when you get saved and you give your life to Jesus... That it's going to be rainbows, butterflies, streamers, and balloons, and Betty White. And you know why I say Betty White? Listen, can you think of Betty White and not smile automatically? I'm like, Betty White just makes you feel good. And like, my wife has this cool shirt, and it says squad, and it's all the golden girls. But listen, Betty White is my favorite. But whenever I think of a bad day, I was like, what would Betty White do? I know what Jesus would do. I'm a pastor. I know what he would do. I was like... How would Betty White make the situation a lot better? Listen, I'm just telling y'all, I'm, I'm crazy a little bit. So, And the scripture that pumped me up about that was Philippians 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. And what that means is I don't have it all together. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What it's saying there is like, I don't have it all together, but guess what? I'm not going to let what happened yesterday dictate what happens tomorrow. I'm not going to get stuck in a moment where I feel like I can't be successful, that I can't be all who God, who is God calling me to be because I'm not going to get stuck. I refuse to let my failure define my future. Amen. And I believe that God wants you to know that God is breaking you so that you can be the catalyst that changes lives of the people that you encounter. You're being primed to be the cause of someone else's breakthrough. And in our society, we're taught to be so selfish that we think everything is about us. Everything is about me, me, me. What about my needs? 
God was like, I'm sending you through that so that your children won't have to go what you went through and what your parents went through. You getting this curse or everything broken off of you is going to be deliverance from your whole family. Isn't that worth it? That your kids and your grandkids won't have to see the struggle that you went through? There are authors in this room. There are writers in this room. There, I mean, there are so many great things in you. But if you don't allow God to break you out of that old shell of who you thought you were supposed to be, you're never walking to the greatness that God has called you to. And that brings me to the fourth point. You're being broken for a reason. You have to know that you're being broken for a reason. We don't serve a God who is petty and who sits in heaven and just picks on us. It's like, let me just mess them up real quick here and see how they like it and laugh. I mean, I had a boss like that. Like, it was great. I'm being sarcastic. It was not great. It was really, really hard because I was working to, uh, to get their approval. And it was like, no matter what I did, it was never the right thing. But we don't serve a God like that. And so in Romans 28, God reminds us that. And we know that all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the hurtful, the stuff that makes you cry. Like, and, and I know, like, somebody was like straight up hurt me. And I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm fine. And like go in the room and just like boo-hoo-hoo and come back out and be like, listen, I'm a lion. You ain't going to keep me down long. It did hurt, but I'm not going to get stuck in that moment. And it says it works for the good of them that love God and to them who are called according to the purpose. And we know another story where somebody was hurt for a reason. Because God tested Job. Job lost everything, his wife, his kids, his livestock. But because Job did not curse God and die, as his first wife said... God gave me a finer wife. She was fine. Almost as fine as mine, but she was fine. Like his kids were that much more like his kids, his second set of kids. They were actually obedient. They weren't partying. Like they actually loved the Lord and his livestock. God, God really gave him double for his trouble. So know that if God is taking you through something, he will never take anything that he won't replace. And if God is calling you to something, he always pays for what he orders. If he's ordered you to go and talk to somebody, listen, and we, we have this all the time now because we're, we're about to start something really, really awesome at our campus. And um, it's, our people just are really generous. It's, the, it's in the, again, it's just like us being a caring church and a giving church. It's in our DNA. So we don't know anything else to be because when I was up here, like it was ingrained in me so much, I felt like I had went to a, like a brainwashing camp. I was just super happy as soon as I got into church. I was like, Good morning. And it was so crazy because when we gave away Christmas trees, I mean, our church is generous church, so we gave away 200 Christmas trees. Do you know how long it took me to give these trees away? Because people were so used to people being nasty to them that it didn't make sense where somebody just wanted to bless them. And we spent, I was like, please come and get a Christmas tree. Please. I was like, we just want to be a blessing. What do you want in return? I want you to smile and say thank you, but other than that, it's like nothing. Like, I don't need anything else from you. But because of our culture where people always want something but not give anything in return, like it was so foreign to people because people are so broken. They've been so disappointed by life that they think that there's always a catch. The catch is that Jesus loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. And this is why I believe that God wants to mix up your environment. Because if this meant, if you think about this, This man was laying around with the sick people. And of course, if you're laying around with sick people, you're going to be sick. I already said that. So you know this man is hanging around in this situation. Everybody's content with where they are. Nobody is trying to get better. Everybody's waiting on the same thing. And you know it's a ton of people. 
So there was no chance for this man to go there, but he was really hanging out there and just like he didn't care about his environment. But I can tell you, being in an environment with people who don't challenge you and who are content being broken because you're broken, neither of you will ever get free. Neither of you will ever be whole. Neither of you, you will always stay broken because there's nobody to challenge you. And that's why God wants you to change your environment. God wants you to change the people that you hang out with if they're not pushing you to your destiny. If they're not challenging when you have a bad, I call it stinking thinking. If everything is negative, like, because I've been around some people, like, I'm like, man, it's a beautiful day. It's an amazing day. What's so amazing about it? I was like, well, I woke up on top of the ground and the ground wasn't on top of me. I think that's a great day. (laughs) I didn't wake up dead. First plus. Could things be better? Always. But you have to always look at the brighter side of things because if you surround yourself with people who don't have any purpose, you'll lose yours. And truth is, you'll gravitate to the people who are most like you because that's just how we are uh, built. And being around that kind of people, it creates a a culture that is as detrimental as the disease itself. And just like in the passage, stagnant water produces bacteria and all kind of sickness. So you're telling me you're in a place of healing, laid up next to some stagnant water that don't move because if it was moving, somebody would be getting healed. So you're laying there day and night around the stagnant water, breathing in all the sickness that you're trying to escape. That's what it looks like when you hang around with people who don't push you to your destiny. You're getting sicker and sicker and you don't even know it because you haven't seen anybody well. So you don't know what wholeness looks like. And you don't go to church because you think that church is full of hypocrites. And you think you can't go to church because the people aren't perfect. Anywhere that you go won't be perfect once you get there. It's the truth. So that brings me to my fifth point. Your brokenness allows you to be transformed by God. It allows you to be transformed by God. Like you can be broken, but brokenness is when you just understand, God, I'm broken. And I know that you're the only one who can fix me. So God wants to transform you, but you have to position yourself and make yourself available to be transformed. And the scripture that pumped me up there was Romans 12. One through three. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. That means like, don't be like everybody else. Because everybody ain't getting free. Some people like bondage because they say misery loves company. And it's the truth. If you start, listen. Check this out. The next time somebody starts complaining and you don't co-sign on their complaining, watch how they treat you. Ask me how I know. It happened to me all the time. And it says it's that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. And I say through the grace given unto me, every man that is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought. And what God revealed to me there is like, who are you not to be broken? Who are you not to be tested? Jesus was tested and tried and crucified, and he was perfect. Now, you knowing you. Now, you don't have to look at your neighbor. Now, don't make any sudden moves. Don't look at your neighbor. If you know their business, just look straight forward. Look at me. You know you being jacked up. Do you think that you're too good to go through anything? And to be honest, if God is sending you through something, that means that he can trust you with trouble. 
Because we all know that anointed, that anointing that can't be tested can't be trusted. If you think that God is going to use you, but he can't trust you with a bad day without you falling apart and freaking out and cussing out everybody. Listen, I've been here before. I see how y'all drive out of this parking lot with your holy cussing. I can't believe sister so-and-so just got in my way. Bless you, saints. You can't be like that. And God is always looking for you like, how are you responding while you're going through? It makes a difference. If you're going through with joy, God honors that. But if you're going through with complaining, guess what? Repeat, you're going to take that test again. You have to learn the lesson. And yet you guys see here a man that was broken. But because I allowed God to to mend me, I stand here 200 pounds lighter, and I'm on my way somewhere great. I'm not through yet. You're like... you're, you're in the middle of my book. I'm still trying to get somewhere. I mean, my wife is doing better than me. She's a lacto-ovo pescatarian. That means she doesn't eat meat. She eats fish and dairy. I'm not there yet. God is still working on me because I love bacon. Shout out again to Lucas, who is no longer a vegetarian. <laughs> but because I allowed God to address my brokenness, I'm not in an abusive relationship. I'm with an amazing woman who builds me up. Even when I want to tear myself down, she builds me. And that's what God wants to get you to a place where you're not allowing yourself to be defined by what happened to you. Remember that it happened to, it didn't happen to you. It happened for you to get to your next level. Everything, the Bible already told us all good, all things work together for the good. It's like, it's not happening to you. You can be the victim or the victor. You can be the thermostat or the thermometer. I don't want to be the thermometer that tells me how hot it is. I'm going to tell you how hot it is. I'm going to tell you what the atmosphere is going to be like. When I walk into any place now, if you have a bad attitude, guess what? I'm going to change it because I'm the thermostat. I'm going to tell you how the atmosphere is going to be. And God has called all of you to be in a place of not brokenness anymore. Because even though he allows you to be broken, he never intended you to stay that way. God wants you to just be real with yourself. And in your realness, you can find wholeness. And wholeness is where God wants you. But you have to be broken to get to breakthrough. And at the beginning of the journey, there will be good days. There will be good, bad days. But you have to realize it's not the end of your story. And it brings me to my last point. God uses your brokenness to show you the beauty in who he's created you to be. Like, you can sit there. I wrote this song called Beautiful Chaos. And when I was writing it, I wrote it the day that I was laid off from my job at Berkshire Hathaway. Laid off. Now, I've gotten to sit. Now, this Berkshire Hathaway was a great company to work for. I actually got to sit uh, in a meeting with Warren Buffett to explain the idea of my app for his company that I shouldn't have even been. I don't know how I even got in that room. But I sat there. I'm like, he asked me, and I'm crazy if you guys can't tell. When he asked me, I was so shocked that he was talking to me and he knew my name. I was like, but like I completely lost. I was like, oh, my God, Warren Buffett is right there. And then I was able to articulate my thoughts. And he's like, I love that idea. A couple months later, the app came out. The company still uses it to this day. But I wrote this song called Beautiful Chaos. It's like everything was falling apart in my life. The job that I didn't want, mind you, I was there that I didn't want it. I was supposed to be a temp. It was supposed to be a working interview, and they liked me so much, I was there for three and a half years until the funds ran out, ran out for the position, and I was laid off. But God was like, 
Do you not see? I can't let you get stuck in a temporary place. You're getting comfortable at a place that is not your destiny. Because if I wouldn't have gotten laid off, I wouldn't have started volunteering at my church full time. I wouldn't have been available to accept this opportunity and I wouldn't be leading one of the greatest churches in Atlanta. God will use your brokenness to position you to where you need to be. Like I, I, when they said, we're going to have to let you go. We ran out of funding. They're like, do you want to take some time to clean up your desk? I was like, no, leave all that there. That's in my past. Just give me the picture of my wife off my desk and I'm good. Because you have to know that the stuff that happens to you, it's only to propel you forward. And the longer you keep holding on to stuff, it's going to keep holding you back. You can't allow what happened and what broke you to define your process or define your journey. And I'm grateful for a God who loves me in spite of my brokenness. I'm grateful for a God who sees my brokenness and spins it in my favor. I'm grateful for a God who will meet me where I am. And ultimately, I'm grateful for a God who sees me broken, but loves me enough to not let me stay the same way that he found me. Go ahead and stand at your feet.